Welcome to the Working with India podcast, conversations to help cross-cultural managers deepen their understanding of India, produced by learningindia.in. Today's episode features Jessica Kumar. Jessica started her India experience as a young, single, professional woman in northern India. Anyone familiar with India knows that is a tough role for professionals, and Jessica is going to give us a lot of great stories and advice. In this episode, we're also going to cover language learning, finding appropriate role models, and what Jessica hopes for her young son who is growing up between U.S. and Indian cultures. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the Working with India podcast. With me today is Jessica Kumar, who has a really fascinating story and a lot of really deep insights to share from her experience. Uh, I want to give a lot of time to what she has to say today, so we're going to really jump right into hearing from her. Jessica, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well, Neil. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, I'm really excited for what we're going to talk about today. Why don't you give a little bit of background? Who are you? Where are you from? What's your connection with India? Sure. Uh, Well, I am a Chicago area native, and I've been in digital marketing for both corporations and small and medium-sized businesses for about 10 years. And my connection to India is I actually spent some time living there early on my career in my early 20s in a small town in northern India. So pretty far outside the metropolitan lifestyle of what um, many Westerners get to experience, which was incredibly valuable experience for me. Um, I've also blogged and written articles for several global Indian online publications, including Versa the Culture, South Asians Magazine, Hong Kong, Kotak Mahindra's NRI Matters, and the Times of India. Wow. That's really good. I've been able to, uh, I, I know, at least on my experience, it's been good for my own reflection to be able to write about these types of things. It helps me process what's going on day to day, too. Have you found the same thing? Certainly. Definitely. Yes. All right. So uh, Northern India, um, what were you doing there aside from these marketing roles? Like what uh, can you get a little bit deeper into what was going on? Um, well, my original exposure to India is I'd taken a tour in college with the intention of ending up in India long term. Uh, my father is an international business person, so I was pretty inspired to go a similar route. Uh, I ended up finding a job in a small city in Uttarakhand, and this was a wonderful advantage to experience North Indian culture outside of the metropolitan area. Hmm. I was involved in a couple of NGOs that mostly focused on creating jobs for locals in Northern Indian cities and alleviating poverty through social programs in addition to my job. Hmm. And I also did um, focus on language learning while I was there as well. And which language were you learning there? I focused on Hindi for about one and a half years consecutively. And then I've uh, continued the studies on my own after living in India. Okay, well, well we're going to get into your language learning in a little bit. But why don't you sure. give people a little bit of up to date? What are you doing now? Where are you? Why is yes. your last name Kumar? <laughs> sure. So I'm in a very interesting part of my life right now where I've set aside many aspects of my career to become a housewife and stay-at-home mom with my infant son. So I hope that some of your listeners can relate to my experiences of being a career-minded woman in a blend of cultures where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. family values and corporate values often clash. <laughs> and I am married to um, a man from North India. So Indian culture finds its way of creeping in and is embedded into the fabric of my home and lifestyle, <laughs> particularly the kitchen. Wow. <laughs> so what are, what's, give us one of your favorite things. Do you, you cook um, North Indian food, I'm assuming, right? I do, yes. What are some oh, of your favorite dishes? Oh, my goodness. Well, 
I would say probably not the healthiest <laughs> dish, but kadi uh, uh, chawal is okay. just uh, so it's a Punjabi dish. It has pakoras made of besan and uh, white rice. So it's really not very healthy at all, but it's so delicious. Nice. Um, that's not my husband's favorite yeah. dish, though. So we'll just. I don't get to make it often. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. What does he like? Oh, he likes uh, bhindi, which is um, uh, okra. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's his particular favorite. So we usually err on the side of his favorites more than mine because he's a foodie. <laughs> Excellent. Well, great, great. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about language learning because this is something that's uh, a little bit unique. Uh, a lot sure. of people come into India... English is so prevalent that they're, especially in the workplace, they're able to get around with it. Even myself, you know, I, I live in Tamil Nadu. I, I know a little bit of Tamil enough to get around, but I would never say that I'm, you know, fluent in that that language. But you really dedicated a lot of time to learning Hindi and some other uh, dialects and languages as well. Talk about what that process was like, um, yeah. how it's benefited you since then, any advice sure. you have in that area? Oh, Yeah. I think what really motivated me was personal relationships. Mm -hmm. And um, that was my real goal was when I originally went and started a job, I was not that motivated to learn, you know, all the employees spoke English just fine or to the level that we could communicate just fine about uh, basic day-to-day -day things. Um, I could get around, I could buy my vegetables, I could buy clothes, I could get them tailored, you know, it's just the basic things in life you could communicate just fumbling around. Right. But I have one, one evening, I, it really hit me where, um, I was, I was with some friends and we were all, um, some girlfriends of mine and we were all hanging out and talking very late at night. And one girl was just pouring her heart out to the other friend. We were all laying around on a bed just as, as young, you know, girls do just kind of like a sleepover, uh, and just pouring out her heart. And she was doing it all in Hindi. Mm. And I had no clue what was going on. This was probably my first couple, you know, my first month or two in India. And she spoke English perfectly fine. She was one of the probably best English speakers in the office, but she was not interested in sharing her heart in English yeah. with me or with anyone. So she was fully um, sharing this experience with this other girl in Hindi. And I was, I wasn't able to be there for her yeah. um, in this, in this experience she was going through. So that was a very motivating moment to me. Um, number one. And number two was, even though so many of the, you know, young urban Indians are fluent in English, uh, so much depth and knowledge in, in many areas of even Western culture, but that doesn't mean that their parents do. That doesn't mean that their grandparents do. And right, right. I think it's so important to have those relationships that go outside of the office so you can really grasp and understand where a person comes from, what's their background, and really getting connected with them on a personal level. Um, and as we all know, that the family structure in India is so important. An individual isn't just an individual. An individual is their family. So if you don't know their family, you don't really know them. Right. And if you can't speak the language of their family, how are you going to get to know them? <laughs> so those the relationships was really motivating. Yeah, so a, a very me. compelling argument you make. I mean, I, I sense it myself. There's so many times when I get into those really deep personal events, especially you know when there's a, a crowd of other 
Indian men in my case around sure. <laughs> um, that they all, you know, just start talking in Tamil. And I, I really realize that I'm missing out on those things. So you, you're talking to someone like me, I, I'm feeling compelled. <laughs> um, what do you recommend in terms of how do you learn these languages? I mm. mean, Hindi, okay, it's a little more wider spoken. There's a little sure. bit of software out there. Is that okay to go that route? Or would you recommend something more personal? Well, I think it's, a, I think anything is better than nothing. So I would just say that is I don't think there's one way at, to learn a language. And I think that everyone has to go with what works for them. Um, I'm a very outgoing kind of do it yourself kind of person. I don't need a lot of structured learning, mm -hmm. but I have friends who have been really successful with more structured learning where you actually take a class and dissect the grammar and sit down and, and break it apart that way. Some people are interested in media, they want to, you know, listen to songs and dissect them or get involved in a musical group where they're forced to, you know, sing a Hindi or Bengali or saw whatever kind of song and, you know, tone down on the pronunciation and learn that way. But I, I again, I think probably anything is better than nothing. So if it, it gets more difficult, I think the longer that you're in the country because you do have established relationships and patterns in which you're already comfortable speaking. I think it's easier to start with a new relationship with a new language because so many times if you have a very established relationship, it's, it's going to be in English. All right, great. So language learning obviously is important. Any other languages you speak besides Hindi? Um, not fluently. Just I can speak Urdu as well, which is basically the same thing as Hindi. But um, actually, I, I focus more that, on that in Chicago because of the area I live was a, uh, a larger Muslim population. Mm -hmm. And then I can understand bits and pieces of some dialects in Bihar. But the huge goal of mine in the next five to ten years is to um, <laughs> work on language skills of understanding Biharis. <laughs> nice. All right, great. Well, uh, let me change topics a little bit here. Um, you entered into India, a single woman. Um, you're in the workforce. You're also um, a friend of, of other young women that's there. Talk a little bit about what that's like, you know, living life as a single young woman in India who's also working. So one of the things that's been very challenging as far as transitioning from a single woman to an engaged woman to a married woman to a woman with a child and then working or not working in various times of my life was a really establishing a personal brand, I guess if I could put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, Indian culture, is, as you very well know, is not a society where you can necessarily make yourself whatever you want as it is in the West, where you can start a career and change a career three different times and people will view you differently as you change cities or move around. In India, it's really as if you pick a particular role or a way that people see you, it generally sticks with you for life. Hmm. So yeah. it's something you have to be sensitive about. And I feel especially on women, there's, there's high expectations of how, if you, how gracefully you manage those transitions. So as you pass through several life phases, the way that you behave has to be modified. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Indian women, um, the example has been set as far as the home life, and there are very often clear responsibilities that you must fulfill as a daughter-in-law, as a mother. But many Indian women are finding office politics to be very murky waters mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and how to balance 
home life. And so for a foreign woman like myself, married to an Indian, those expectations are also, in some of a sense, placed on me to abide by these culture expectations in the home. Just like any woman, of course, I struggle with the work-life balance in the U.S. culture. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, not to mention Indian culture where expectations of achievement are also very high. So I think it's, you just have to be careful as far as which roles you want to assert more strongly. And in the relationships I found, one has to choose very carefully how you want to be perceived in the eyes of the Indian community. Do you want to be a professional? Do you want to be more girl-like? Do you want to be uh, more motherly? Do you want to be perceived as a strong homemaker? Because in some people's minds, it's not possible to be strong at both mm-hmm. roles. So just if you change if you just change the outfit, it doesn't necessarily change the woman underneath. And I think people are very conscious of that. Yeah. In Indian society. Now I, I've heard you talk before about this idea of finding a, a role model, you know, somebody that mm, typifies yeah. what you're doing. Talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Um I one thing that I found just even even for anyone who's engaging in cross-cultural transformation, I guess you could say, or adjustment, is is finding one person or more than one person that you can model yourself after. So, for example, I've made a lot of mistakes by modeling myself after the wrong people. Not as if they were bad people, but just they were they were at a different social strata than I was. Maybe they were. A, a male boss where I looked up to them and I wanted to be like them. And so I, I ended up treating people maybe like he would, which was inappropriate for a 20-something-year-old white female. Mm. So I, you just just acknowledging the hierarchical society, acknowledging where you fit in Indian culture based on your age, your marital status, your career objectives, where you fall in the, in the organizational chart of your office, those things all really affect how you treat the people around you. Um, I don't want to say, you know, who's above or below you, but really that's kind of how it works. <laughs> As Westerners, we shudder at that, right? right. No one's above or below anyone. <laughs> but really, in, we all know in Indian society that there are more, a little bit more clear, you know, who's the sir, who's the ma'am. And then who is the chaiwala? You don't treat them the same necessarily. You can treat them all politely, but they don't all, you don't need to go out of your way for them in the same uh, way, per se. So um, one thing that I found really helped me was to find people that were in the similar social strata in life. So if I'm an unmarried, you know, early 20s female who is working in office and, you know, comes from a middle-class family, that I would want to find someone that is similar to me in those ways that I can kind of hang around with and understand how do you really behave? You know, what are the expectations on you from your family and what do they expect of you out of life and what what are your dreams for life? Where are you going? How do you interact with the people around you? Mm -hmm. And then I think once you've enculturated yourself enough to understand the intricacies of how to behave, I think that it's fine to break free from a role model kind of mentality 
you don't need to copy someone if you if you're confident enough to know that you're not going to culturally offend someone or <laughs> make a bunch right. of some you know vital mistake that's going to really hurt a relationship. Okay, so you would recommend you know somebody coming in um, young, let's just say the twenties woman again, Western country. But they, they've been given a little bit of an uh, elevated role. You know, maybe they're a, a project lead, some kind of manager that's been brought in. Who's a good person for them to look to, um, to to find that role model for those first year or two? Well, hopefully it would be in an Indian woman who is in a similar position, who's unmarried, who is also in a leadership role. But if, if not, um, it, it, may be, it may be a combination of different people that you look to that you say, hey, this person's personality is similar to mine in this way or this one in this way. And uh, it may be several role models that you select to to learn from and engage from as well. And and this is where language learning also comes in as well. It's just, I love how, at least in Hindi, things are so clear-cut as far as how you address people. Mm. And there's three levels of formality, you know, there's the op, there's the boom, and there's boo. And depending on where that person is in relation to you, that's the that's the uh, form that you use for that individual. So even understanding how old someone is, what their status is, and how you should address them, that is just so vital to understand and be able to mimic that from your peers around you. Yeah. I feel so weird as two Americans talking about, you know, the importance of hierarchy and all these, these social things that are, are really taboo topics for us. But, you know, with this, sure. with interacting in India, it's like you have to know these things and, and you have to be able to work in inside of those systems. Right. Um, you're, you're obviously someone who has, you know, gone really, really deep into Indian culture, North Indian culture, understanding this, this hierarchy, the role of personal relationships. What were uh, some kind of events that brought you on that? Did you feel like you, you started with that concept or did you learn that along the way? And then how, especially I'm really interested in this transition and, and you know, you're back in Chicago now. Have you had to adapt at all in, in going back? Uh, great question. Yes, certainly. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that I have a lot deeper to go. <laughs> I still have a life, a lifetime of learning. And that's, I think, when you really know how vast and how incredible Indian society really is, is when you realize, okay, I've been in this for 10 years and I have so much more to learn. And, and you'll even hear knowledgeable Indians, whether they're in the U S or not, just, just say, I have, I, I, I'm constantly amazed by my country. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously everyone that's listening to this podcast knows that already. Otherwise they wouldn't be listening. Um, but, you know, I had a heck of a time trying to adapt back to working in um, Western corporate environment. And, oh, my goodness. So I, I have worked so hard to maintain relationships with colleagues and with their families in India, and that really helped my communication with them. So that was just such – that becomes so natural for me, and, and I just enjoyed relating people in that way. So as I came back to the U.S., that was a struggle. Um, I was actually told at two different positions that I was too personal with other colleagues. Oh, man. And that people, and that in not anything 
intended. It's just that people took me, didn't take me seriously because I was, I don't know if I was just too friendly or too happy. I just don't understand exactly. But people had a hard time taking me professionally. It was basically what it came down to. You know, my desk was covered with photos, friends and family, and I often strive to connect with my colleagues before we would start projects together. So it took me a long time to figure out how much was revealing too much about myself, my family, and if Matt hurt my professional image. But it was just so ingrained in me. I think that working in India was a natural fit. It became so natural to ask, you know, marital status and, you know, all this about your family and how yeah. many children you have, uh, you know, how's your mother doing? I mean, this became very normal. And I don't really want to unlearn those because I think they're <laughs> lovely social niceties which should just be worldwide. <laughs> Yeah, I, I noticed that a lot in, uh, particularly when I'm doing some kind of business deal with with an Indian company, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we rarely talk about business. You know, the first three or mm-hmm. four meetings are all about establishing the personal relationship, getting to know who's in the family, yeah. uh, what the names of their children are, where they're going to school, all those types of things are. And, and I, I'm in my mind, you know, since I'm having to learn these things, I'm consciously pushing myself to ask more, to get deeper, to, to recognize that this is the business is, is getting these relationships and, and knowing how to follow up with people about which family member is mm-hmm. ill and making sure that they're okay. Those kinds of things have just really become a part of me now. I think uh, just like what you're talking about too. Yeah, that's lovely. The lovely story. And just, I feel like it's just being a good person. <laughs> that I don't want to shine too much negative light on my own culture. That's that's one thing that I think we've lost a bit in our corporate environment in the U.S. is that ability to be a nice person with each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, speaking of being a nice person, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift the topic a little bit. Um, give me some kind of story because we don't we don't come to these places you know overnight. It's not like somebody tells us you should be good at personal relationships and the next day you're there. So you got to have some kind of story about uh, one time when you did it badly, when you did it wrong. Um, oh, yeah. Share something about that. Sure. I'm happy to share one of many. <laughs> um, so I was a team lead on a web design project, and I assigned a task to a team member by email. But he, I had not explained the priority of this task by going to his desk and highlighting it verbally. So it must have gotten buried in his inbox, and you know the deadline came. I went to ask him an update on the task, and he gave me a blank look. And everyone else around also realized that he was giving me a blank look, and I had asked him a question. And so I got a bit upset, and I asked him why he hadn't completed it. As I had, I thought I had been clear. I had laid out the task with his email, and it's important. Well, I had no idea the effect of my words by really, in its essence, shaming him in front of other colleagues, which I don't, I didn't think I was harsh, but I was now looking back. Uh, I thought it was a mild scolding. He'd just move on and, you know, just go on with life and complete the task. But the the guy actually quit (laughs) shortly, a couple days after (laughs) that. And I had no idea the power of those words and the deeply personal effect that my disappointment had on him. Wow. And in my mind, I, I was—I mean, I wasn't his boss. It wasn't a huge mistake he made. It was a small thing. But for him, I had reprimanded him in front of other colleagues. 
and hurt his pride on a level that I really didn't have any understanding of at the time. So it, it was an unfortunate event. And fortunately, because one thing I did do right, thankfully, was that I did have a personal relationship with him outside of office because I had gotten to know, you know, friends and family. So there's still a connection, but these are these are mistakes uh, that can be made with not, I didn't realize that, you know, I, yes, I was at his level, but in this particular instance, I was supposed to be the team lead. So, you know, I didn't realize what my place was at the time. I just thought it was a peer with a peer, and I just, you know, my words hurt him a little more than I realized. Yeah, wow. Thanks for sharing that one. That was a tough one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Oh, so tell us a little bit about your kind of longer term outlook. Um, you're looking to stay in the U.S. You're looking to, to, to be in India, especially the, the family aspect. I think a lot of people would be curious. About, sure. Um, what, what are your, your and your husband's plans? Well, without sharing too much personal information on the Internet, but I will do my <laughs> <Sure>. best. <laughs> um, we're definitely open to... Uh, being back in South Asia. We're definitely open to being back in India. You know, we, we're both incredibly family-oriented people. Uh, Little-known fact about me, actually, is that I was raised in what people would call a joint family. Hmm. So uh, where my grandparents were very much involved in my day-to-day -day life and lived, uh, we didn't live under the same roof, but pretty much we were, you know, just steps away from each other uh, as far as our homes and they were in my in at my house multiple times a day um, so I just really realized that joint you know living in a joint family is something I'm really comfortable with which is ironic that I realized this after I had lived in a joint family with my in-laws which <laughs> you only realize these things yeah. in hindsight that oh I grew up in a joint family uh, so really, you know, putting family first is incredibly important for us. So um, career is also important. You know, we have, a, we have a small son right now. So getting him um, established and, and getting him to have as much quality time with his relatives as possible is a first priority. We both have quite a few career goals, both which involve um, living in India at some point. And I feel personally that my time in India was not complete. I feel the urge, I feel the desire to be back, to live there, um, to engage more, particularly with Hindi. I just feel so fascinated by the whole language learning process and particularly language that were derived from Sanskrit and languages that are in northern India. I just, oh, I, I I could go on in a whole other podcast about that, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. We're we're very open uh, right now in the U.S. We're involved in a number of South Asian uh, different organizations and try to stay connected with cultural events as as much as we can. So we feel still connected with with Indian uh, the Indian subculture and and are able to integrate that into the fabric of our home wherever we are. So yeah. we're content right now, but India is definitely calling us back at some point. <laughs> great, great. I hope it's soon. Um, with, you, with your son, you talked about um, 
what maybe is, is one thing you really want him to fully grasp about his Indian identity and then one thing you want him to mm-hmm. fully grasp about his American identity? Because, you know, he's going to be kind of in this mix Ooh, between yeah. the two. So what, what would be your answer to those? Excellent. Excellent question. So I would say the one thing that I want him, that I, that I hope to model for him and that I hope that he can learn is the importance of caring for people around you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is particularly an Indian trait, but I think that it's something that's so embedded in the cultural values of what it means to be an Indian son <laughs> is <laughs> oh, yeah. your parents, your parents come first over everything and um, your family comes first. Right? You will sacrifice everything for your family. And I think that that is just something that um, has, has been lost in Western culture mm. is, uh, is that real concern and care for not only your parents, but the people around you. I think that is, so important, and I hope to model that for him. I can only do my best, but that he will learn that from us as parents. And then, as in what I would call an American trait, is um, I do I do hope that he has an imagination and and creativity to become or to explore different areas of what he may want to do or be without worrying too much what other people are going to think, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, that's always the one of the challenges if you're living in India, particularly as you feel you have to look over your shoulder, who's, who's going to say this, who's going to say that, who's going to get jealous of this or that, but he really feels he has the freedom to uh, explore and, and be creative in, in his choices, whether that's career or what school he wants to go to or what sports he wants to play, music, art, whatever just those kind of individual choices that he wants to make about learning. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer. Uh, I'm really excited to, to kind of see how it works for you guys. I know it'll be a lot of adjusting back and forth uh, as you go, but it's going to be great. Um, sure. just to, to close out our time today, it, it, I know I've learned a lot through this, but if you could just summarize maybe in, in two tips that you would give to people who are more at the start of their journey working with India, what are just two things you would say to them? Well, we've talked a lot about hierarchy, and it's a, it's a, there's a lot that's been written on this. There's a lot more in many of your episodes that touches probably much more articulately than I have, uh, particularly, particularly Arjun Bakshi's. But I just want to reiterate that knowing your place in the hierarchy and, and figuring out where you fall compared to others around you is so important and um, and not trying to fight the hierarchy. Just acknowledge that it's there. You're not going to change the whole culture. It's there and we have to know where we fit. And then secondly, I would say just not taking cues from the wrong people as far as where you fit. Maybe other foreigners um, or people who are the wrong age or gender, but just finding a role model that's on a similar level, someone that you trust, someone that you can have a camaraderie with, ask those questions that they're not going to judge you if you make a big mistake. 
mm-hmm. um, and really finding someone that you feel comfortable with that you can someone that you'd like to be like really yeah. is is can be so helpful in understanding how the social systems in India work in wherever particular part of the country you may be in. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I particularly like the point you make about, you know, knowing your place, finding a role model, but uh, essentially, you know, as a, as an outsider, you have a little bit of a, an advantage and you get to choose, right? Um, you're not, you don't carry all this baggage with you necessarily from a a hierarchy standpoint or or where you are, but on on some level you get to pick where you want to be in that. And so recognizing that fact and choosing wisely, I think is a good point that you're you're choosing wisely. Absolutely. Great. Well, I think, yeah, I think we could go on for a couple more hours, but, uh, why don't you tell people, (laughs) uh, where they can get in touch with you if they like what you're saying, where else you talked about a blog, where is that? I blog at globalnomadism.com, and I actually wrote a little blog about some of the things I talked about today, which is Three Tips for Succeeding Professionally in India, that's the title, and my contact information is on the blog. Great, and you said you also have written a few other articles in different places too. So I'll um, I'll try to link some of those into the show notes sure. as well, so people can see those. Great. Do do check Excellent. out uh, Jessica's blog. It's really good. Um, it has like you, you don't write every week or every day or anything like that, but when you have something to say, it's like that encompasses like a full month's worth of of learning <laughs> that's all there. So uh, I would rec- recommend everyone to to check it out. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been a pleasure and i look forward to reading your next blog whenever it comes out because they're always awesome thanks so much all right have a nice day you too thanks this has been the working with india podcast produced by learningindia.in please subscribe to the show to get new updates as soon as they're released and as always don't do india alone